I don't know if any of you guys saw it. I think it's a joke that's been going around on social media. Someone said that when uh, Henry Cavill, the English actor who plays Superman and Geralt on The Witcher, he's going to do a Warhammer thing with Amazon. And they're saying, actually, the whole budget has probably just gone to Henry Cavill buying Warhammer miniatures for his army. <laughs> and the show itself is just to be him narrating his his battles with his mates. Uh you know, I'd watch that. I don't. I know nothing about Warhammer, but I'd watch that. <laughs> That's the thing. I would watch uh, that. But oh, I mean, just it, Henry, just Henry Cavill nerding out. Hell yeah! <laughs> but it kind of goes to show just how expensive Warhammer has become. That that doesn't sound that far fetched. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. But, you know, speaking of, that's what we will be discussing this week. Hi, welcome to Indulgently Minimal. I'm Moggy and I am joined by Jeff. Hey, up, guys. And Murdoch. Hello, everyone. And this week we're going to be talking about collections and falling down that rabbit hole <laughs> of, I must have it. I have to get all the finest things. That oh, deep, no. deep rabbit hole of hobbies, yeah. Well, I mean, this is the probably the time I should come clean with you, my my good friends and my good listeners. Hi, I'm Moggy. I have a collecting problem. Hi, Moggy. <laughs> oh, no, I have definitely fallen down that rabbit hole one too many times when finding an interest in a new hobby and just buying way too much stuff right up top. No, no, that's never happened. I've never witnessed that multiple times. No, no. I think I think just to just to set the expectations, like when starting a hobby, there is a certain expected sort of like buy-in. With many. But yeah. Depending on the hobby, yeah. Um, like depending on what you're doing, you expect it to have at least X tier of gear or whatever, just to be able to actually involve yourself in it, depending on what it is. You know, rock collecting. Not so much. <laughs> I don't know. You got your tumbler? Collecting's a slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you going to show up you... to the rock fair with untumbled rocks, you uncultured swine? Yeah, we're, yeah, we're outlaw. This is the outlaw community of rock collecting. Yeah, Ooh. you know, outlaw we're country. rebels. Outlaw country, outlaw rock collecting. It's as cool as it sounds, guys. It really is. As, as a baseline, as a baseline, you know, if you, if, if, if you have a, a sudden interest in, in skateboarding, you don't go to Walmart and buy a $10 board. You will break something. Yes. <laughs> Not the board. Hopefully you, the board. You will break. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, it's like when I think a common one is when people want to learn the guitar and some people will go out and buy literally the cheapest piece of plywood with strings on it. Whereas other people mm. will go out there and buy like a $3,000 Gibson Fender, whatever. There is a... And neither is a good option. That's, no. the, that's, the tragi- that's the tragic thing of it. Both will terribly put you off the hobby. Uh, well, no, the expensive mm-hmm. guitar won't necessarily put you off the hobby, but it isn't going to... It's not necessary. That's the thing at the beginner mm. level. Like a bad instrument is going to hold you back. You're going to feel worse and it's going to take longer to learn just because you're fighting through that problem. But mm. the good stuff starts a lot cheaper than like the really high end. I, I don't even want to call it professional. Get, like it's it's just taking money from people that have it. Yeah, you don't need mm. a three grand guitar. Does anybody need a three grand guitar? I don't know. No, I mean uh, Josh Homme no. of the <laughs> Queens of the Stone Age. He tours with a an Epiphone, which is like a a, a cheaper Gibson. Often he actually tours mm. with uh, I, I can't remember the model off the top of my head, but yeah, he actually tours with. You're talking about maybe like a thousand thousand and a half dollar guitar, and these are considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it works, it works. Well, these are considered enthusiast level 
instruments. And mm. well, I mean, he's one of my favorite musicians. So you know, nice. Yeah. Well, you know, for 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 guitars specifically, like you can get away with getting you know a, a good starter kit. It'd be like a very affordable branded uh, guitar. Well. And it comes with a small practice amp and almost everything you need mm. to start. Yeah, and it's it's decent for it's decent for starting. But I think the other issue is maybe not like I mean there is that obviously of going in headfirst into a new hobby and buying like you know really excessively expensive equipment. But there's also the other one mm -hmm. of where maybe you do get like you know you take some advice, you go around, you do the research that we talk about doing. It's the extra stuff. So you don't just get the guitar. You start buying pedals and you start buying a pedal board ah. and you start buying like, it's all of the extras that, yes, these are things that will help with the hobby. These are things that maybe you do want, but you don't necessarily need them up top. Well, so yeah, you can, mm. you come in, you've got, you got yourself a metal slide because who knows, you've got yourself an Ebo because why not? Yeah. It's like, do you know how to, do you don't know how any of that works. Why would you have one of those? They're cool. Mm. They're definitely cool. So, I mean, to bring it to what we were talking about at the very beginning, with something like Warhammer, if you are really going to get into a hobby like this, this is where it can really spiral because these hobbies are almost designed to get you to keep buying things, right? Mm. To play Warhammer, yeah. like you just you, you just need an army and some friends, but that's not how they get you. Yeah, I mean, dep no? depending on the type of... Like they're, they're constantly bringing out like new things and new armies and like new models and new... Yeah. Units and... And many people like to have multiple different armies because they play differently. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get into the hobby. It's how do we navigate entering into a new interest, a new hobby in a mindful way so that we don't just immediately indulge that... I want all the things and I want them all now. And you end up with several hundred dollars worth of unpainted plastic just sat there mocking you. Hmm. <sighs> Literal armies of regret. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know is is the vital answer to that because I mean it's going into a hobby. You can be mindful of oh you know sort of don't want to get too into it. I want to be kind of you know kind of dipping your toe into it, and that kind of in out mentality can can sometimes stop you getting from into the hobby at all anyway. Hmm. But the, then trying to kind of balance that with I'm going to buy literally all the things. For example, hiking, I'm going to buy all the lightweight gear. I'm going to buy everything possible. I'm never going to need any of this, but I'm going to buy all of it. Mm. Well, mm. I think you stumbled upon the first thing, perhaps on accident there. Buy. That's what I do. You mentioned the word buy a lot. And I think that's the risk mm. is when you get into a hobby, I think our culture these days makes us want to buy. It wants mm. us to buy more things. Like, are you really into you know, this hobby, if you haven't bought all this stuff, if you're not wearing a t-shirt with the, with the logo on it. And for me, if it's a solo hobby, it's one thing, but when it's a social hobby, I find that the best hobbies, like the people out there are going to be like, oh, just come. You don't need a Warhammer army. You can use one of the, you know, my spares, or we've got like a couple extra bits that you can mm. put one together. We'll get you sorted. Let's see mm. if you enjoy yeah. this first. Like in D&D, &D, mm. like when you start, when you play with a group of people almost all the time, they'll just let, you know, oh, you don't need to get dice, just share hours. Exactly. You know? uh, and D&D &D mm. is a really good one. I was going to, I want to talk about D&D &D at the end because D&D &D is a great example of something where other than the DM who should be buying the books to, you know, run the campaign, as a player, you don't need to buy anything. Not really, no. I mean, you can pretty much get everything 
for relatively free well, not, that you need. What I mean is, as a player, you just need a character sheet. Hmm. As a group, hmm. you can have the books and you can you know, share that. But once you've created it and once you know what your character can do, you don't need to be spending money. Like, unless you really want like your own little set of clacky rocks, which let's be honest, everybody plays D&D to roll dice. That's the that's where the fun is. The clacky rocks. Math rocks. I've always thought D&D has been an elaborate ruse for grown adult people <laughs> <laughs> to just roll dice. <laughs> yeah, give me that 20. Mm. <laughs> but... Apart from that, like you don't actually need to be spending money and, and not in a, you know, oh, I can go get the books another way. Like only one person needs the book. Mm. Mm. And, and I th- Ideally the DM, otherwise it's a little <laughs> weird. But mm. and, and I think that's kind of one of the attitudes I wanted to come around to is that idea of you can invest in a hobby, especially as a group of friends, in a much more mindful way. Mm. that doesn't involve mm. everybody just going out there and immediately buying all the things, but rather, like, what do we need as a group to have fun together? Mm. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely makes sense. Although, again, you can open up a can of worms with how splitting cost as a group, how is the cost split, yada, yada, yada. Um, I mean, but there's... That's a, sens- that's a sensible conversation to have with someone. For sure. With a group, uh, that, but it's, it, it's something that, to be aware makes... of. Mm, that 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 makes sense if if you allow me one one more simple example. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, football and basketball those seem to be very popular like group activities. Like you just need the one ball between a group <laughs> <Yeah>. of people. <laughs> I mean, childhood I memories of I, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I have to go home. My mom called, and it's my ball. So. <laughs> Hmm. Or the kid whose yeah. T-shirt you're using to make a goalpost has to go home tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. yeah. Oh, man. Or when the kid gets just, when the kid whose ball it is gets, you know, throws a tantrum and goes home anyway. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's a South Park like, no, reference in there that's not. Uh... <laughs> I'm going home. I'm going home. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, there we go. We've we've figured it out. Thanks, guys. Okay, tune in next week. But <laughs> man, we're getting we are getting so good at this. <laughs> well, no. Um, I myself am not familiar with Warhammer. I I might want some clarification on what you know the activity of playing Warhammer entails. In my head, you know, uh, I'm I'm thinking trading card games, things like Magic: The Gathering, and, and you know, Pokemon trading card game. It's not you're not far off, hmm. and. Warhammer was quite a good example because it kind of dovetails into a different kind of collecting that I also wanted to talk about because mm-hmm. Warhammer or Warhammer and Warhammer 40k because you have like two different versions one's fantasy one's sci-fi it's not dissimilar mm. from what you described with card games where you have a physical item to play it's wargaming you buy little miniature pieces of plastic you paint them so that they mm-hmm. look nice mm-hmm. and then there's a set of rules where you how you can move your armies around a, a table and you play a battle so it's not dissimilar mm. from games like total war or maybe even age of empires if you remember those you're moving but, but, an- mm. but analog but analog, yes. yeah, you've got little pieces of plastic, they've got, you know, moves, and you <laughs> you roll dice. I mean... It's a lot of fun, and Warhammer is just, like, a very popular example. Like, people use them to, you know, war game actual historical battles as well, and there's plenty of other things out there. But like hmm. Magic the Gathering, like Pokemon the card game, there is that buy-in, especially if you want to play in, like, tournaments where, like, the, the companies that make these games often run 
quote unquote official tournaments that have rules like, you know, your miniatures have to be painted to a certain standard. You're only allowed a certain number of miniatures to make your army so it stays fair. So there is an element of buy-in to play. Mm. Mm. But I'm also guessing it's not as random as, you know, the, the, the trading card games. Trading card games will often run sort of like random packs, which you may or may not get the cards you're looking for. In. No, usually you buy the, the the models you want. You either buy a pack mm. of, you know, like a pack of six space marines or perhaps like they'll do because they're all tied into their own little worlds and lore. And the new releases often push the stories forward. So what? A lot of like the time you might buy like a big figure, which would be like a big monster or a big general or something like that. Hmm. So yeah, you, there isn't quite the same randomness, which I think it, it depends what you're into. Like Magic the Gathering can be very much a, it's the real world loot box thing. You know, you're buying packs in order to, you know, get the rare cards. And then there's like a secondary market of people buying and selling to get the exact cards hmm. they want. Warhammer's more hmm. straight up. I want that. I'm going to buy that. Hmm, okay. But it kind of dovetails between a game and a collectible, displayable thing. <laughs> it's a lifestyle. Well, what hmm. I wanted to dovetail onto is the other kind of hobbyist collections, which are collections that are merely to be displayed. People that buy figurines, people that buy artwork. Oh. I mean, it, it's all in kind of the same vein hmm. it's yeah, just yeah. scales and theme so whether you're buying monet paintings or you're buying movie posters or you're buying little anime figurines ultimately you're buying something to display hmm. apologies to anybody listening the one i could never under, under quite understand was funko pops i think i am not a fan but i am not going to judge like it's just not my taste I mean, hmm. yeah, I mean, uh, I, I've, as y you both know me, I'm not exactly a collector person in general, hmm. but I kind of, I, I kind of get Funko Pops. Like, I understand, I don't want them, but I understand why people like them. You know, that they're, hmm. they're, they're fun. They're always, you know, you, no matter what you're looking at, you can always get more related to the kind of thing you're into. And they're, they're yeah, they're just kind of cute. They're fun. They're nice to look at. They make, you know, like, as we've talked before, a lot of times it kind of makes your day better seeing them. And I think it taps it, it taps into that for a lot of people. I think S same same category as Nendoroids. I think yeah, yeah. Nendoroids are like the Japanese anime side of things. They're not dissimilar from Funko Pops. Like... <laughs> Japanese anime Funko Pops. <laughs> I think you've. I, th I think we've just triggered a whole load of people somehow. But yeah, I I, I just <laughs> want to yeah. Like the, the Funko Pops look weird. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. They're not cute exactly. They've got like a very distinctive style that's kind of iconic. I yeah, guess? they've they've got a very distinct aesthetic. Whereas hmm. the Nendoroids, like again, they have a very distinctive thing, but it's more anime chibi style. So they're distinctively hmm. cute. Hmm. They're meant to look cute. But I mean like beyond hmm. that, there's also Disney figurines. They're like, Disney themselves, they do blind boxes now of things called Dorables that are like tiny little adorable versions of the Disney characters. And you buy it again, hmm. this is where you they're they're really getting you. It's the blind box thing. You buy a pack that has like one, five, ten of these little things, and you don't know what you're getting. It's like loot boxes, oh, they've always no. been with us. Yes. They're not a they're not a new <laughs> thing by any measure. 
Oh no, a, a term I think I'm going to abuse to the end of time. Anything, anytime something has a small, small like hint of like randomness to it, it's like ah, another pachinko machine. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And oh, what are they called? Those the, the the ball machines. You know, the ones you put your coin in, you twist the knob, and a little ball comes out with your figurine in it. Gacha. Yeah. Oh, is that what, oh, is that is that where that comes from? Is that what that, that, is that yeah? It, it, it's a, a Japanese onomatopoeia sure. for the noise the machine makes. When it clunks, it makes that gacha noise. Mm-hmm. Yep. Man, a very large penny just dropped right now for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really difficult because I can see it. If I step back and I put my minimal glasses on, you can, it's so obvious that, yes, this is a company trying to make you spend extra money to collect them all. You got to keep buying, and as it says, trade with your friends and trying to get the whole set. What they really want you to do is just to keep buying, but it also triggers something very deep inside me of I want it, I want the I want the set. Like I don't even collect the Disney Dorables. It's someone I know, and I've bought them as a gift. And it kind of like every now and again, I will see them and go, I should buy another packet. No, why? I don't even collect these. <laughs> That's how they get you. <laughs> that Although, is. That's go, exactly go, how they get you. Me, they get me. (laughs) Mildly to derail it, but minimal glasses is. Would contacts be? Would minimal (laughs) contacts be more minimal or indulgent? No, I feel like it's those half moon glasses, like librarian glasses that sit on the end of your nose. You know, so you can look over judgingly at things. Bifocals. Oh yes, that's definitely Uh, it. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. (laughs) Bifocals. So remembering what was another trend that was like the Smash figurines? Oh, you mean oh, like Amiibos? You mean the Nintendo called. Amiibos? Uh, yes, yes. Oh. The Nintendo Amiibos. I, I, I definitely had a conversation with uh, somebody a very long time ago. Like you know, bled, uh, like blood, sweat, and tears to collect them all. Well, this is a different tactic and maybe that's what this episode needs is we need to sit there and talk about the horrible capitalist tactics that they used to make us buy these things so whereas like mm. the the dorables that i just described are using the blind box strategy i.e you don't know what you get when you buy it so it's exactly the same thing as magic the gathering amiibos yeah. mm. is artificial scarcity nintendo can make as many of those as they want but they don't they make a limited <laughs> number so that as oh they're gonna like the new zelda game is coming out and there's going to be three new amiibos go get them now they're not gonna be there for long well they're not gonna be there for long i gotta go guys it triggers the fomo it triggers Mm. that kind of i want this and yeah so it's something i really wanted to talk about today which is that a lot of these things are marketed and designed to trigger these behaviors in us this collector mindset that with the Amiibo, go and buy it now. It'll unlock something in your game, but hurry up because it's going to be gone. It's a FOMO thing. Whereas the blind box mm. is triggering mm. that kind of gambling feeling in us. Like, oh, I'm feeling lucky today. Let's see if I can get that, you know, golden Pikachu or whatever. Yeah, taking advantage of you in different ways, but all for the same end. Hmm. But at the same time, I really don't want to, you know, put anybody down because I really do enjoy collecting things. I enjoy seeing those little collections on shelves, I enjoy having them. But I'm also very cognizant that when I look into myself, it's also, I like the little dopamine hit from buying it. And that's not healthy. Mm. Hmm. I suppose, 
as as with everything that we've been talking about over the months, it's that being mindful of why you're buying in this in this instance be mindful of why you're purchasing a new item for your collection is it because you want to look at it is it because you want to enjoy it or is it or is it because you want the rush of buying it in the first place yeah or does it give you access to something you wouldn't otherwise well, be able to well that's the thing get. with the ami- with the amiibos that's that's kind of where they get you yes it's a cool figure and it's all and it, and, and it looks pretty neat but at the same time, it also gives you access to certain things within certain games. And there's the Amiibo cards as well, which they brought out, which is a nice salve on that. But it's a bit, you know, they uh, they get you a bit more than just... I suppose in the same way, it's kind of like the Warhammer figures. It's uh, it's a figure, but it also has usage mm-hmm. other than just, uh, just to be aesthetic. Not that anything you get has to have a use for you to be able to enjoy oh, it. Absolutely not, no. Yeah. No, if you enjoy something, you enjoy something. We go back to the rock collection for those that collect rocks. And good for, good for you. <laughs> Pet rocks bring us many joys. Mm-hmm. But I think the final thing that I wanted to address on this topic of the com- of how the companies get you, and it comes down to both the artificial scarcity and the quote-unquote trading aspect. I think one of the ways that they get you is they make you feel like what you're buying has value and it's going to maybe increase in value. Ah, yeah, that old chestnut. So it's like, oh, it's okay. I can spend, uh, you know, $100 this month on Magic the Gathering cards. If I pull a couple of rare cards, I'll sell them and get my money back. Or so that that sort of, it's not a, it's not a lie because it's not, because sometimes it does, but that it implants that idea in your head of this is an investment. Exactly. Exactly, and then you you look on Antiques Roadshow and you see some dude's girlfriend that sold her. She she found his Magic the Gathering cards and they decided to sell them all, and it's like thirty grand us. And you think he's thinking, I this is unfair. I got rid of all my Pokemon cards as a child. I could have been rich. I I I, I couldn't have been. My cards were terrible. It's the Star Wars toys. Everybody Ugh. like, oh, I bought a bunch of Star Wars toys and I never opened them, and now I'm a millionaire. Like everybody feels like they've missed out. I missed mm. out on Star Wars toys. I missed out on Beanie Babies, I, which never actually was a... <laughs> Nobody missed out on Beanie Babies. Everybody everybody suffered on that one. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea what the reference was until I looked them up recently. I'm like, why was this a thing? <laughs> well, it's exactly that. Like, it's companies creating something that explicitly targeting people's desire to get on the next thing. Not buying something because it's a cute, cuddly toy that you want to enjoy and your kid's going to play with, but because it's going to be the next mm. Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, we saw this with NFTs. It's the, the same. NFT, yeah, well, NFTs being the evolution of, like, you know, what Bitcoin yeah. are. It's the same, right? it's the same hoo-ha. Mm. And if I was going to put the indulgently minimal spin on this whole thing, like wrap it up in a bow, it's make sure that if you're jumping into something, a collection, make sure that primarily the value is your own happiness because you can't rely on yeah. the value being financial. Well, I think it's, hmm. it's got to be the same thing with any hobby, I guess, is that if you're if you're engaging in a hobby and you've decided to reach the point where you're going to actually put some monetary value into it, you're doing that simply for your own benefit. You know, you can't be looking at, you know, investing this in the future or what the money you can get back from it or how you can make a hustle out of it because you're never going to really yeah. enjoy the hobby that way. You've hmm. you've got to just it's it's money that is money that, as you say, spending on your own happiness and that is its purpose, nothing else. And I think that's what's nice, almost ironically, that's what's nice about figurines that have no 
use. So like we said, like Warhammer, you can play battles with these things. Amiibos unlock things. Like there are certain figurines that literally just sit on a shelf, but at least they're not like everything else in life at the moment where it's like, turn it into a side hustle. Why aren't you streaming your mm. games on Twitch and trying to become rich and famous? It's like, can't I just have five minutes to enjoy myself? Like five minutes yeah. where I'm not, mm. you know, trying to make myself rich and famous. Five minutes where it's not work. Yeah, why do I have to turn my hobby into work? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a pervasive thing that's, um, whilst for some things and some people, it, it makes a lot of sense to do so. But the, yeah, this, this idea that every single thing that we have to do, every hobby, every, every bit of free fun time we have has to be monetized. Hmm. I think it's, it's very damaging. I think it can be very damaging, or at least um, it's damaging to me to think like that. Hmm. I think it very much can be. And that's why I think a, a huge part of the strategy that we're talking about, this idea of indulgently minimal, what is it? Why are we here? Why are we still talking? I keep coming back to that idea that we're seeking joy. We're seeking yeah. happiness. Hmm that trying to navigate through all of these, almost like, it's like a minefield. We're trying to hmm. find contentment at the end of it. Because, and that, you know, in my opinion, that's what leads to joy as a reaction, happiness as a result, contentment is the goal. Mm. Mm -mm. Pretty much. I have a small thought in this whole hustle culture business. I think the trap is people will have a tendency to turn everything into a part of this hustle culture activity, I think the other side of this dual-edged sword is that you can sometimes use that hustle culture to sort of like justify any of your activities. Yeah, mm. yeah, like, yeah, I can get into this because it'll make me money or I can make money off the back of it. Um, mm. But whilst we're, talk Which, whilst we're talking you know, about monetizing about hobbies and things we're doing, um, if anybody would like to sponsor Indulgently Minimal uh, podcast, <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> You know, other hobbies maybe you shouldn't monetize, and this one would be great to be mon for it to be monetized. So you know, uh, if there's any, you know, if there any razor brands out there that seem to sponsor everybody, you know, just we're here. Some of us shave. <laughs> We've got many uh, many picks on Audible if you are interested. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I have actual books. I need people to read. They're good. <laughs> but hmm. I think Jeff, you've. You're doing a very good job today of stumbling upon excellent little nuggets of gold and wisdom. This is how I live my life. I stumble on everything. It's great. It's going. It's going very well for me. It, it's oh. like that hustle culture. Like you said, it's about allowing yourself. And maybe that's what I want to kind of take, flip, and put back. Is we need to learn how to allow ourselves to have fun. Mm. Rather than like, I can play video games for an hour. It's okay. I'm streaming on Twitch. This could become a thing. No, I'm going to allow myself an hour to play video games because it's fun and my personal enjoyment is important to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to allow myself time to play D&D &D with my friends because it's fun and I get to spend time with my friends. Well, it's boiled, mm. I think it's boiled down to we've had it, we've had it drilled into us for decades that time is money, money is time. So when we think about all the time we're spending doing stuff, in the back of our mind is that's going to cost me X number of money because I'm yeah. not working. Yeah, And it's trying to break. It's a nasty mindset to be put into and we have been put into it. It's trying to break out of that to just, yeah, as you say, just enjoy your own time, enjoy your own hobbies with no with no consequence or hanging on or, or reason. Just, yeah, I'm going to go do this because it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yes, spending time with people is important. 
It really is. Uh-huh. Yeah, like solo hobbies are great. Group hobbies are great. It's yeah, it's important to just be present and enjoy the time and the people and the activity for j- just the activity itself. Exactly. And actually, that's what we're going to be talking about on the podcast over the next few episodes is this idea of hobbies and social time and how we can approach that from this direction. Because exactly that, time spent with friends is important, but in the in our modern lives, like hobbies and social activities are so important in not just bringing us together with our friends, but also meeting new people and exposing ourselves to new ideas. That's key as well, definitely. Yeah, sort of Mm. different new things, different things, opposing things. Exactly. And I wanted to start this, should we say, season, this... Arc. arc, Oh, excellent, yes. This arc of episodes with this minimalist lens of let's dive into hobbies, let's dive into activities, but let's not dive in wallet first. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, boys, leave your wallets at the door. We're just having fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's that all. It's been in my head so much. I don't know. Maybe we'll get a remaster. I don't know if I'm having some sort of um, video game clairvoyance, but Bad Company has been in my head so much recently and it's kind of like the the exact opposite of that famous scene where like we're heading into a new hobby we're not going to be uh, spending all our money we're not going to be monetizing this because we're not going to be hagadermy gold and then our hills <laughs> <laughs> oh man bad company ah oh. again there was a hobby that you invested in once and if you had it on you know depending on what you know platform you had it on i played that game for a very very long time with an initial investment, mm. and I got a lot of fun out of that. And that was a, that was a very good hobby for minimal money. Hmm. <sighs> I miss bad company. That's the nice thing about online gaming and that initial investment of a console and the unfortunate ongoing investment these days of a subscription to play online. You get back hmm. so many hours of fun, and if you're careful and discerning, you can meet some really nice people and play some really good games out there. But yeah. It, it's a different world. I mean, when we were kids. When we were young. <gasps> yeah, I, I remember like when that, that kind of crossover period of um, you'd kind of chase different consoles to find like the communities where people were actually playing. I remember that that was the thing, PS3 versus Xbox 360. Everyone mm-hmm. was on the Xbox 360, especially in Europe and America. You'd always find games, but it's also where you had the more problematic online communities, whereas... The PS3 was so unpopular that, mm-hmm. that you actually found you could have real <laughs> conversations. Everybody was just grateful somebody else was there. <laughs> yeah, I actually had some really good <laughs> online games. I remember playing Fear 2, I think it was, with some really nice people. <laughs> uh, there's uh, nothing like horror games to bring out the best in people, though, ironically. Yeah. And also Discord has been wonderful for that, where you can now find people to play online with before. So you're not just jumping in with randoms. You can find a good group of people first. <laughs> you, can vet, yeah. you, you can vet them first, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. I, th- I think this this online connectivity, like online community evolution has really changed the way we approach social games online. Mm. 
there, there was a silly thought in mind. I remember, you know, back in the day, the advice was like, don't talk to strangers, don't get in a car with strangers, <laughs> yeah. don't talk to people on the, don't talk to strangers on the internet. Now we talk to strangers on the internet to come and pick us up in their car. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so to wrap up this week, and um, before we head off into this arc of social gaming and hobbies in general. Do you have any final thoughts on avoiding that rabbit hole of over-investing, over-buying, sort of like hoarding rather than enjoying? Um, mm. I would say if there's the ability to try before you buy, just like abuse that to its <laughs> utmost to mm. make sure that, hell, you know what? This is actually really for me. I like this. I want to get involved with this. I like the people. I'm going to get invested in it. Or maybe after a while you think this was fun, but eh, maybe not for me. If you've taken advantage of a try before you buy or you know maybe you know been with some friends to help use their gear or whatever you try it you may mm. not like it at least you haven't you know invested anything so you don't feel guilty afterwards because i know i've done that no that's <laughs> i think that's really good advice that's really good advice especially for people like me who my my focus can wander so i'll mm. be really interested in something for a while but then I might lose interest after some time. So hmm. that try before you buy or, you know, I don't like the word abusing, but, you know, make, <laughs> you know, taking it, no, taking advantage is not nice either. And like, you know, just allowing your friends to like help you into a hobby without investing too much of your own money. I, I really like that idea just for counteracting that problem I can have of kind of, oh, look, a butterfly and wandering off and not playing anymore. Mm. <laughs> I think... The only thing I would add is as as part of the sort of like, you know, investigation process before entering into a, hob into a hobby, I'd actually advise look at what the deep end looks like. Look at how expensive mm. it can be before starting to make assessments. As That's a very good point. Whether yes. this is for you or, or, or isn't, you know, because a lot of times for some of these activities that you, oh, you, you know, you buy in at this low, low price of $19.99. Not knowing full well that there's like, you know, $2,000, $3,000. Yeah, it's like look at the end of the skill tree before I start allocating character points. Mm, which yeah. is Pretty something much, I've uh, never done in my entire life. Mm -hmm. and, and figure out where, you know, what what's what's your cutoff point. Mm, hmm. That's an excellent yeah. point because to bring it right round to everything we talked about today, it's comparing D&D &D to Warhammer. So two very nerdy hobbies where you sit around a table and roll dice. But with Warhammer... You have to buy the figures, you have to buy the paint, you have to invest the time to paint the figures. And if you're going to play, that's what you have to do. D&D, &D, it's the opposite end. You need a book, you need somebody to run the games, who is the most important person. But after that, like, it's, it's free. Mm -hmm. As long as you're not buying into these online tabletop simulators or buying every book as it comes out, buying extra stuff you don't need, you can just sit around with your friends with a pen and paper and some math rocks and have fun. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's a, as a small side note, tabletop simulator has been a great investment. I'm on 300 hours. Yeah, I'm, I'm mm. talking about things like D&D &D Beyond. Are, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a little different, but, but yeah, no, Tabletop Simulator is... <laughs> I, I don't know how they manage that, but that's an excellent idea from them. Like, I think if you can invest the time, you could probably make your own tabletop games or you can program in the games that you are playing. Oh, you definitely can. You definitely can. Mm. As I said, our, we have a, you know, our mutual friend who is essentially a, a, a game creator. 
in, in hobby he always manages to come find a, a new and interesting way of adapting a current game we're playing with mm. horrific mm. rules that make us all suffer <laughs> <laughs> and of course that's the true fun comes is from making your friends suffer. Wait, that doesn't sound right at all. Okay. <laughs> That's a great place to end. I hope you guys have enjoyed listening. We've enjoyed talking with you. We've been Indulgently Minimal. You can follow us on Twitter at Indulgently Mini. We're also Indulgently Minimal on Instagram. Any thoughts, questions, comments, shoot us an email at indulgentlyminimal at gmail.com. I've been Moggy and I have been joined by Jeff. Yeah, thanks, guys. Remember to take it easy on yourselves. And Murdoch. And remember, folks, indulge a little. Indeed. Thanks for joining us. See you for the next one. Bye. See you later, guys. (laughs) Take care, everyone.